Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly and voila. You get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky. Hello, and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast. I'm your host, David Turetsky. Like always, we try and find the most insightful people inside and outside the world of human resources to bring you what should be the best practice in all the world around using HR data and insights. Today we have with us Zoe Schweitzer from Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream. Hey Zoe, how are you? I am wonderful. Hi David, thank you so much for having me. And as always, we have with us Dwight Brown from Turetsky Consulting. Hey Dwight. Hey David, hey Zoe. Hello, hello. Today we're going to have a really fun time, but first I want to tell you a little bit about Zoe. First of all, Zoe loves people. She loves humans. She loves anything relating to creating the causes and conditions to help people be their best at work and get the most out of work. Zoe has been the chief people officer for two years, but really it's five. And before that, she was a consultant and OD specialist. One thing you may not know about Zoe, and this is actually really cool, is Zoe participated in a 48-hour sleep deprivation study in college in order to pay for a spring break trip to Florida. By, by the way, but I, I can't think of a better thing to do than to invest time in a spring break trip during your college years. Agreed. Can you tell us a little bit about it? About the sleep deprivation study? Sure, or what you did when you were on vacation in Florida. Well, I mean, okay, just picture any Florida spring break trip in college. And that's probably, you already know what you need to know on that. But yes, so for the sleep deprivation study, I was placed in a recliner in a concrete block room with a television and a deck of cards and a bed. And I was, had to sleep at first in order for them to wake me up. And then the 48 hours started. Wow. So then for 48 straight hours, I was not allowed to sleep. I had electrodes on my head and I had to do IQ testing and video games so that they could assess my performance over the 48 hours. And then I was given a check for $200. I was gleeful about that. And then I took a hike and went to Florida and had a great time. Did you sleep first before you went to Florida? I slept a lot first, yes. Oh, great. That, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it was not something I'd ever want to do twice, but I'm glad I did it once. Well, it was definitely something that we now know about you. I don't think anybody else, I've never told that story before. So it really is something nobody else knows. Outstanding. Today, our topic is very fascinating. In fact, it's one of those reasons why we love having chief people officers in the podcast, which is that while we may swim in a world of data, and especially from where you are, you have a ton of data because you're retail shops, you sell ice cream. So you have a lot of data about how the ice cream gets sold, how it gets made, And the entire, basically, life cycle. One of the fun things, though, is you can't actually get great data without actually having great insight. So today, what we're going to talk about is the analytics may be great, but it's useless without context.
So Zoe, the first question is, how long have you been at Jenny's and what have you seen around your use of HR data and how has the company changed in using that? So I've been at Jenny's for about five and a half years and I've seen a lot of things that are really important to us stay the same. And for that, I'm very grateful. So Jenny founded this company almost 20 years ago on talent hustle and guts and on world's greatest ingredients and on cutting no corners and on being a pink-haired company founder with no business background. And one of her proudest accomplishments was the courage to quit college when she knew it was time to quit college. And I just love it that one of the things she's so proud of is that she took a leap and took a hike from something that a lot of people said was the right answer. And so one of the things that we get the benefit of being founded upon is bravery and entrepreneurial spirit and all of that. So I get to swim in a company that's built on that. And for that, I'm grateful. I, I enjoy that every day. And that hasn't changed. And we can talk more about how I think I have a role in making sure that now that we're big enough that Jenny can't be everywhere, she used to be everywhere, but she can't be everywhere, then how do I have a role as a chief people officer in perpetuating all the good stuff that she started all that time ago? So we can talk more about that. But what have I seen change? I mean, I've seen, so we've almost doubled our scoop shop number, which wonderfully for me means we've almost doubled our opportunity to employ human beings. Right. And so that makes my job even twice as satisfying because that's twice as many people I get to serve and our team gets to serve. So when I started, I could do most of what our company needed from an HR standpoint by myself with a whole bunch of partnership, both thought partners and doing partners. And so I don't want to imply I did anything alone, but I just didn't have a very big team. So we've had to increase the scope of our team and the size of our team so that we can meet the needs of the humans. We've had to come up with scalable ways of seeing the needs of the company, which is where data analytics comes in. Sure. I used to be able to figure out what someone needed because I could know and talk to a significant portion of our team across the country by myself or by staying connected to my peers. That is not a possibility anymore. So now I have to come up with scalable ways to see what are the needs of the people in the company and the teams and the buildings, et cetera, et cetera, and then identify those needs and try to meet those needs and come up with strategies and plans for meeting those needs. And it used to be able to be a little bit of chaos, a little bit of organization, and a nice in-between mix of just a lot of hustle and a lot of in-person contact. Right. Hustle no longer can overcome not having the right data. Like I used to be able to hustle hard enough. If I didn't sure. have the data, I could figure out another way to figure out what I needed. I can't hustle that hard anymore. And frankly, that's not even healthy to try to do it that way. There are just a lot of wonderful tools at our fingertips that when used, in my opinion, effectively, and in my opinion, effectively means you use it to serve better. You use it to keep on narrowing your focus so that you're doing the right things for the individuals, the teams, the company. And I also think build personally, I think in terms of buildings too, because I can see the shop in my brain and I can see the 18 people that come there every week to work. And so meeting their needs is our job. Meeting the company's needs is our job. And we can't discern what those needs are unless we have the analytics to help us figure it out. But one of the things that's really clear, I think you mentioned it early on, was the culture is really important. 
and to the extent that the technology can help you be able to disseminate the culture as well as not lose that original entrepreneurial spirit. How do you keep the technology aligned with your culture and aligned with where the company needs to go? Because the, com- the technology can be used as a hammer or it can be used as the conveyance tool to be able to get not only the things done, the work done you need, but also to help the culture issue as well, right? Well, I'll tell you how I do it. And I keep in mind that... Um a Midwestern 47-year-old female with one particular perspective on this. And I really want to emphasize that I do not have the only perspective on this. And I'm not even saying I have the right perspective on this, but I think I do have an important one and one that to me is, it's just how I feel about it. Sure. I think things need to be as simple as possible. And we live in a world where we're swimming in stimulation and information. And so I view my job as perpetually looking at what's most important really and not like what society tells you is most important or you have 60 inputs and 60 emails in your inbox in the last hour. But like part of my job, and I'm not claiming to do this beautifully at all, but I'm just saying this is my aspiration, is to take a deep breath every day and make sense out of an endless list of emails or inputs or people or whatever or opportunities, which we're fortunate. There are endless opportunities in the world sure. to really discern what's the data I need, what's the focus I should have today, what's the focus I should perpetuate within the company and the team. And so just continuing to use technology not so that more is better, not so that I can overwhelm anyone with reports they don't need, but actually picking the really important, cool stuff that's going to give us the insights that help us say no to a lot of things and not do the thing that's going to actually get in the way of that frontline ice cream scooper. Like, I'm not the person that's in a scoop shop scooping ice cream. So I better find out ways to know what their point of view is so that I don't do something inadvertently that gets in their way and makes their job any harder or makes their work experience any less positive than it possibly can be. And I think we are stuck in a world where the technology has taken over, especially email, for example, where you could be drowning in a sea of emails with the weight of tons of really important questions, really important things, really important insights and other things coming at you from all directions. How does one filter to be able to maintain that focus you just talked about? I try to learn from, I have some of the smartest, most hardworking peers in the whole world. I am so fortunate to work with people who teach me how to zero in on what's most important in their world. So whether it's the finance operation here at Jenny's, it's our uh, retail operation here at Jenny's, all of them. But I watch them discern what's important and what can be either backburnered or what can we say no to. And I sit and just study these wonderful, smart people that I get to work with. So that's one thing I say is be around people better than you at lots of things. Study what they do and then do your best. I love that I get the opportunity to do that. I read a lot of books on narrowing the focus because I think there's just overwhelming evidence to say that if we don't, then we don't reach our potential. When you try to be too many things to too many people, you make one inch of progress instead of six miles of progress on something that really matters. And, And I guess I think it's so easy in human resources to get focused on sort of the wrong thing. Like if I get swept up in 
sort of this kind of human resources that's like, it's a kind of, this is going to sound overly dramatic, but like fear-based protect one entity from another entity kind of HR. Yeah. If you get swept up in that, then you behave that way. And when you behave that way, you actually create more of what you don't want. But it's really easy. And I get why people do that, because, including me, because that's a natural tendency when your job is to deal with humans who are all different. Every situation is different. Our needs are different. Um, And it's really complicated sometimes. So you sort of have to uh, eclipse all that complexity to get to actually this other sort of the simplicity on the side of the complexity, which is like between the three of us, like Dwight, David, Zoe, there are very consistent needs that you can stay grounded in. Like we all need respect and mutual respect. We all need to feel like what we're doing matters. We all need to have a way to voice something if we're unhappy about it that's constructive and productive. Like those needs don't vary. So I guess I do think human resources has a job to just really keep zeroing in on those things that are consistent across almost all human beings like respect, conflict resolution in a way that builds trust versus destroys it, really like positive fair, supportive ways of identifying issues so you can go in and help people solve them. So I try to say no to the things that are sort of by default, I'm so busy, I'm so stressed, this is what I'm spending my time on, and say yes to take a deep breath, keep a big picture perspective, what do humans need? And oh, by the way, I'm not only a human, but I'm also an employee. Right. If I can tap into what I need and I'm making sure I'm having lot of conversations with a lot of other people to understand their perspectives, then I'm probably going to stay pretty connected to what others need as well. So Zoe, one of the things I think is fascinating is you live in a company that comes from a person and that person's values. Tell us how you keep Jenny's values alive as the company grows and expands. And you can't be, and Jenny can't be, everywhere all at once. And talk about how those values are the same or a little different from what you just talked about, being simple and and reaching to the person and getting what the person needs. Great. Thank you. In terms of keeping her values alive, and are uh, it's a privilege, like... When I started here, it was as a consultant. And on day one doing a consulting project, I left here and went home and I said to my husband, okay, I'm going to prove to them that I don't need to be a consultant there. I need to be an employee because I felt like a fish that had jumped in just the right water for me. And as I talk about simplicity and really staying connected to the humanness of running a company and things like that, yes, I think I'm wired for that. I like simplicity. I like people. So that's just, that's why I like doing what I get to do. And when I came here and I'm talking to, for example, Jenny about what she would want in this new person that would be part of her human resources team. And she says, well, one really important piece for me would be to infuse creativity in absolutely everything you do. And I was thinking, I've never had anyone tell me that they want me to infuse creativity in human resources. And I noticed what a relief it was to hear that somebody actually wanted that. And our CEO, John Lowe, we had a meeting once with a vendor who made a comment that was very, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this, 
So clearly showed a lack of understanding of gender equity. Oh, no. And we had put six, oh, no. six months of time into developing this relationship with this vendor. And in that moment, I watched our CEO say to the vendor, I will throw away six months of work if you actually mean what you just said and aren't willing to reevaluate and reexamine our approach go forward. And it was in the middle of a meeting where a lot was on the line, and I watched our CEO really do the right, brave thing. And so my point in that is that is how our leaders are wired. And your question of how to perpetuate that, I do think I'm very responsible for making sure our hiring practices continue to hire people who are oriented around why equity and awareness of equity-related issues is important. Hiring people who understand that dealing with conflict head-on can be done in a direct and kind way yeah. and that it's not an either or. Right. And like when I hire, of course you have to hire for technical skills. Can they technically do any job? Sure. But I call it head, heart, gut hiring. It's like, do they have the intelligence and the background to do the job, but do they have the heart to bring into the work environment what you need them to? And then sure. gut, gut wise, do they have that like intuition and discernment to make great choices when things get really hard and hairy or they're super mad about something? How are they going to handle themselves in that conference right. room? So those are the ways hiring and prioritization and what to say no to. Those are the ways I think I have a responsibility to keep on trying to perpetuate the good things that got started a long time ago. And your question of am I are those values the same or different? It's those are that's why I think I felt at home when I got here. It's amazing to find a leader that you align with in such a way that instead of worrying about what they think, that they've hired you and they trust you. And as you mentioned, the entrepreneurial spirit, that they believe in you to the extent at which you're espousing their values because you live their values. And there shouldn't really be a question. HR sometimes gets treated as the cop of trying to police what the culture is instead of trying to develop those skills to have managers also understand them fundamentally. What are the values that we bring? So that it is a question of interview skills or a question of do you really believe them? And if you don't, then you're going to hire the wrong people who don't espouse our values and therefore they'll probably crash and burn alongside of you. Yeah, I I would say that here I don't get treated so much like a cop as much as a like I'm expected to as I should be and I want to be like a facil- facilitator of right. all the right stuff, a perpetuator of all the right stuff. So that's my aspiration is to do that. And then like a seeker of all the right stuff. We don't, I don't know a lot of things. We don't have all the right answers internally and recognizing when we don't know what we don't know, how to go find it and help people. And I, you know, I used to say to people like, if drama walks in HR's door, then what comes out should be less dramatic and more constructive and productive right. and helpful. And so I, I think that's, it's one, sometimes it just is one room at a time, one person at a time, but trying to have a positive impact every opportunity you get. I've also heard to that extent, I've also heard that HR has been asked to be cheerleaders as well and to rah, rah and rally the troops And I've also worried about that because we're not cheerleaders. What we are is we are the people who help develop the right kind of 
people and, and hopefully develop the right processes to ensure that those people have the voices to be cheerleaders for themselves. And while we may actually start the cheer, hopefully all of the employees are doing it anyways and we haven't hired the wrong people or we haven't given them the processes or the learning or the other tools necessary to do that for themselves. I agree with everything you said and I think it undervalues what we can do in HR to call us cheerleaders. And at the exact same time, I would say I do think having an optimistically wired HR team so that we can see the good on the hard days and we can see the good in a person who's struggling or a situation that's tough. Sure. That I would say is the part of that that I really think is an important part of our role. Right. No, but the only thing I wanted to clarify, I wasn't saying we can't be cheerleaders. We just shouldn't be thought of as being, that's the only thing that we do. Actually, one of my leaders once gave me a pom-pom because I was in HR and I was Mm. the head of comp and HRIS and payroll. And he Mm. wanted me to be the cheerleader for the company. And I said, yeah, that's great. I am. But recognize the fact that I'm also developing people who will then make those processes happen throughout. So it's not just about me. It's about all of us, all of us, not just you, CEO, but everybody. And too often, I think HR gets kind of pushed into that, that, that thing. But you're right. I actually love it when HR can be a beacon of hope and have that kind of optimistic opinion. But don't make us, <laughs> force us to be that. Well, Enable us to be that. We hardly have time for the cheerleading. When we're, aren't we really just party planners? Isn't that what we do? <laughs> yes, party planners, and then cops to make sure people don't get too drunk at those parties. Right, that's exactly. Yeah. No, I I think it's we can be really optimistic without ever doing the gimmicky stuff that people don't like from HR, and mm-hmm. I understand that. Don't there there is a lot of gimmicky stuff out there, like hey, let's laminate this card because that's going to make us really successful. And it's like, how about not? How about we don't do that? And so I I think there's just that perpetual, like what not to do is just as important as what few things we can do. You know, hitting on what you hit on, David, with the tool sets, it's, I oftentimes think of human resources being the Home Depot or the Lowe's of the corporate world or the business world. And you go in, you provide a tool set, but at the same time with what we've been talking about with the cheerleaders or the party planners, the I can go into Home Depot and say, hey, here's what I'm trying to do. Can you help me understand how to do it and what's the right tool? And I think that's the thing. It's not just providing the tools. It's also providing that advice, it's that support and that help along the way. I recently said to someone, tell me one other career choice where you're going to have the word generalist in your title. (laughs) I don't know if you can. Maybe there is one. But the reason we have generalist in our actual titles is because you have to know a thousand things. And I had a wonderful mentor once. I said to him, teach me everything that you had to learn the hard way so I don't have to learn it as hard as you in such a hard way. And he said, lean on your experts. Never try to be a leader in human resources and know everything and instead have 10 people way smarter than you on speed dial. And so I do that. And I do have like way more than 10 people smarter than me on speed dial. And I'm so fortunate to have them. And I call them constantly and I'm unapologetic about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what separates 
a good leader from an outstanding one is that they understand when to say, I don't know, let's call. Let's call this person. Let's dial a friend. Because too often, and in, in the consulting world, we deal with this all the time. Why don't you know the answer? Because there are a million other answers I can give you, but I don't know this one, but I will get it back to you. And the best answer I've ever given is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I will find out for you and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I but yeah, we're that. also scared to give that answer. It's a frightening thing. And but it, it indicates genuineness, open-mindedness, lots of possibilities, and the world needs all those things. Exactly. And confidence. And confidence. You can only be confident if you actually know the truth or you know the, the answer. And that's why I, I totally agree with you. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by Turetsky Consulting and listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So Zoe, when you think of HR teams and being able to optimally meet the needs of the company, what do you think actually gets in the way of HR actually being able to do what the the company needs? Number one, I think what gets in the way is thinking that we are paid to protect the company from the human beings that work in it. Because the company is the human beings that work in it, and I am a human being that works in it, and it's destructive to have a mindset that is stuck in that place. I think the best way, and I've been fortunate enough to find and hire, and now I get to work with individuals who are wired not that way in terms of thinking about protecting the company from the humans. Instead, I think HR serves best and is optimally effective when you're wired to think about how can we best scaffold and support the humans in reaching the goals of the company because the goals of the company are the goals of the humans. So for example, I can go talk to a 20-year-old scooper in an ice cream shop and say, tell me something that we could do that would make us a better employer. Okay. So when I used to ask that question, I always expected that they would say something personal like pay me more or give me more time off or something like that. But Almost 100% of the time when I ask that question, their answer is actually something I can do that can help them serve the customer better. So they might say, like, I'd say, tell me one thing that can make us a better employer. And they'll say, well, I've had so many employee or so many customers come in who want more chocolate options because they've got kids. And so I wish we had chocolate more reliably available so that I never have to disappoint a kid that walks in. Thinking to myself, what a cool world and what a cool job I get to have. When I ask the question about how I can make your life better from an employment standpoint, and you're trying to tell me, make sure I can do the thing you want me to do. Like, that's an amazing thing. It is. Right. It really is. It speaks to the to the company and the culture of the company because it shows you that they're very focused on that customer. Here's what will make my job as an employee easier is satisfying this customer and making the kid happy. And there's a lot of companies where that kind of culture does not get passed through whatsoever. I agree. And I think it's part of why I appreciate being here. It was Jenny's enjoyment of handing ice cream cones to people that's made her want to just keep doing that and made her want to build a company that would do more and more of that. 
we're really lucky. We kind of do get to do something that is a lot more fun than a lot of other things. Like sure. the ice right. creams are beautiful. They taste amazing. The cones smell really good. We have huh. these fun places to be. And we generally have reasonably happy people coming in who want ice cream. And like all of that is a set of conditions that I don't, I don't want to take for granted even for a second. And then we attract applicants who are interested in being around reasonably happy people and serving them something that is intended to bring them joy. So all of that is just incredible. So I think we're sort of set up for something that I I consider a real privilege. Yeah, if you think about the mission of the company is to spread joy. How do you spread joy? By that interaction that kid has with the moment that they anticipate tasting this thing that they love to do. And that their folks have, have whatever strife or whatever issues they have in their personal lives disappears for that moment. They get to touch that ice cream. They get to lick it. They get to feel that joy in their stomachs, on their tongues for that one moment. And then what happens? They take it in. They feel wonderful. The scoopers and everybody who are there provide that outstanding experience. And then they walk out thinking that the next time they're going to be there. And the next time they're going to experience that, how much joy that must give, not only to the people in the shop who are doing the scooping, but also that those kids, those people, the parents who love to have that experience. And I get to stand in a shop and watch so many different scenarios. So like you watch people on their first date, you watch people who've Mm -hmm. been partners for 60 years and they can't stand the sight of each other, but they just had some joy by coming to get ice cream with each other. You see, I mean, really almost any scenario under the sun. And the truth of it is when I started here, I expected to think that the building community part of the mission was like, that's, I get it. Okay. That's nice. We like to come up with a big higher purpose so that we can all feel connected. I understand how that works, but I didn't appreciate kind of how it works, but when I stand in a shop, and I, I and I do regularly because I also get it, I am one of our customers and one of our employees. I stand in the shops regularly from both standpoints, sure. perspectives. I watch people have something interesting and joyful to talk to one another about and connect about, and they leave different than they walked in. And I, I mean, I know that just sounds like I'm kind of like, I hate this phrase, but drank the Kool-Aid or something yeah. like that. But I'm, I'm serious. Like I watch it all the time. And that's wonderful. Like the world needs reasons to be together, excuses yep. to be together for a positive reason. And right. we like to give people an excuse to be together for a positive reason. You know, getting back to one of the topic areas about data and, and insight, how do you glean some kind of insight from this. How do you, because you can't give an NPS survey to a kid with an ice cream cone. You can't judge how people feel after they leave Jenny's because you're going to get a variety of of responses like, oh my God, that's the best ice cream ever and whatever. You you may have a, oh my goodness, I've just, you know, broken my promise that I'm going to stay on my diet. Okay, you you got some joy out of it. How do you glean insight from the interactions so that you could make it a better experience? Because, it's it's a tough thing to do. It's a tough thing to judge. You know, the the very low-tech way of doing it is I just try to physically fly to or drive to as many scoop shops as I can and ask questions of the people doing the very important work of handing those cones sure. over the dipping cabinet. And I say, what do you love about how this works? What's not working as well as you wish it worked? 
what can we do to be a better employer? What could we do to help you do your job better? So I just ask that question. And that's not as scalable as it needs to be, which is where the data analytics piece comes in. Think about like, if I look at tipping, I might glean some insights about where customer service could be better or why are our customers tipping less here than there? What does that mean? So that's a good question. If I look at a turnover report and I think, huh, turnover is unique there, either uniquely it's not happening or it's happening a whole lot more. Like what? Okay, well, that's interesting. Why is it different? What's going on? So it's like, I think of it like a picture, you know, like if I I have kids and if you ever had coloring books when I was a kid and kids had kids, you get this black and white line picture and it's a bird or it's a flower or whatever. Okay, fine. That's a great picture. That's what the analytics give you the opportunity to have a clear picture and then the human interaction and the getting on a plane, getting in your car, talking to as many people as you can, give you the color and the animation that can fill in those pic- that picture so that you have a full understanding as much as possible anyway right. of people's points of view, what's important to them, what's really going on, what is the company accidentally doing that gets in the way of their success What are we doing that's supporting their success that we can perpetuate and protect? So that's why I love this conversation because I really do love that conversation about the the complement of it, the complement of the scalability and efficiency of the analytics. And then you learn more and get the depth that you need with the human-to-human interaction. And then when you bring those two things together, I think you have a lot of powerful information in order to make pretty good decisions. And in isolation... Either side doesn't tell the full picture. But when you bring them together, that's where the magic happens. Mm -hmm. 100%. I think about like the assumptions I've made along the way as a, I'm in the second half of my 40s. I live in Ohio. I'm sitting in a home office. And anytime I start to get closed minded and assume that I know what it's like to be a 19 year old in our Texas scoop shop, scooping ice cream for those customers then I need a dose of humility. I don't know anything. I don't know one single thing about that. Right. So I probably ought to get on a plane and fly to Texas and talk to someone and see what's going on. And I will say, though, that's not to diminish what I do know. And here's what I mean by that. Like, you don't ask your 19-year-old ice cream scooper in Texas to create your five-year strategic HR sure. plan, right? Yeah, like, not. that's not the perspective that person should be asked to bring. And they should but they should sure be valued for the perspective they are asked to bring and ps their yeah. perspective should be listened to before i go run and make the 5 year strategic hr plan the vignettes they provide give you the color yes. to fill in the colors in that picture that you need to create that's exactly right so it's like a matter of knowing you know everyone's perspective is valuable and everyone's perspective is different. Which ones are the right ones for the various things that have to happen in the world? Like if I don't need to go figure out which scoop is ergonomically most, the best one for us to use. And if I act like I know the answers to that, then I'm going to do something inadvertently that isn't what the company needs. So knowing who to go to for what. That's very insightful, Zoe. Thank you. Can I tell one more story? Of course you may. So, I used to work for Goodwill Columbus, and it's an organization that serves people with disabilities and other barriers to successful employment. Sure. And my heart was just full every day from being there and seeing these people devoted to, they don't care about disability, they care about ability. Right. They don't care about what your past looks like. They care about how can I support you right now and right. have a successful life going forward. Sure. And so just can't say enough about all of that. 
So I'm standing in one of our donated goods stores at the time, like a, a Goodwill. I know yep. most people sure. know what that's like. Oh, yeah. And this woman says that we're trying to come up with a new process for the employee discount because the current one takes seven minutes and then non-employee paying customers might set their donated goods that they've selected down and walk out of the store. Sure. And she said, I've worked for 20 years at this register. Would someone please ask me? what the employee discount process should look like because I keep getting these executives who don't work at the register telling me what the process should look like. And I had that like kind of two by four upside the head moment of like, (laughs) why go find the person with that expertise? And in that case, she was the expert. And so I try to remember that. um, I try to remember that lesson she taught me that day in my job and then keep my, I, I feel like, at least 70% of my job is to keep running around talking to people with expertise in various things that will help me do my job better. You mentioned the word generalist, and sometimes the word generalist really is chemist. How do you take everything, put it all together, and make something beautiful out of it, make something useful out of it? And unfortunately, HR, we kind of pigeonhole ourselves into a generalist, meaning we don't know anything. We just, we're, what do they say? Master of none? Yeah. Something like that. So the problem is that we do have our fingers in so many different things. We pull it all together and there's beauty in that. There is. And so we diminish it. And I think to our detriment, but there is so much beauty in being able to bring all these disciplines together to come up with whatever the right answer is. And sometimes, and you brought this up before, the simplest answer is typically the best. But unfortunately, a lot of those other experts complicate things and we just have to make it as simple as possible for the people, especially the ones who execute Simple as possible. I really appreciate what you're saying because I do think it's easy to diminish it. And I think it's simple and also excruciatingly difficult. And simple often gets misinterpreted as easy. But in my experience, HR is simple and excruciatingly difficult. You take COVID, a global pandemic, and I think HR has had a unique opportunity during this pandemic to show its chops. Yeah. Um, it's been everything about people, everything about being able to find human beings to do the work we need human beings to do in order for anything else positive to happen at all. Right. That's all rooted in the field of HR, and we should come with answers and solutions Absolutely. to that. And they probably are relatively simple, but they're also very difficult. And it's often because... Almost everything that's human has a paradox to it and some kind of attention to it between thing yep, A sure. and thing one. And Absolutely. A and one, and there's this tension. And so HR is running around trying to help all of us as leaders navigate difficult tensions. And so to your point, it can be simple, but I don't think that should be misinterpreted to be sound like it's easy because it isn't. Never. It's never easy. No. So Zoe, we've had a long conversation today and a lot of value in there. We first talked about how you've seen your company change over time. And Jenny says, grown tremendously over those years. We've talked about how to keep the values of the company alive as the company grows and as it changes. And you've talked about how Jenny's cultural values are still alive in the company today. And then we talked a little bit about 
what are the things that should get out of the way so that HR can optimally grow alongside of the company? What else would you like to impart to people before we leave? I love that question. I I think just having this conversation makes me take a step back and appreciate the function of HR a bit more. And since I am in it every day, I think that I'm appreciating it. But I do appreciate this conversation because you're right that we have a tendency to diminish it. You're right that we have a tendency to think it's easy. You're right that we have a tendency to get stamped as the cheerleader or the party planner. And and while I intellectually know that is not the case at all and that we navigate very difficult circumstances and if we can do it with love, then we do it right. But this conversation made me remember that if we do it with love, we do it right and that that in itself is not always easy and it's something that I really am grateful to be a part of. So thank you for letting me be part of this conversation. Thank you, Zoe. And thank you, Dwight. Thanks, David. Thank you, Zoe. Been great having you on the show today. Appreciate you being here with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. And if you know of somebody who might like the podcast, please forward it to them. And if you like it, please hit subscribe. And thank you for listening to the HR Data Labs podcast. Have a great day and stay safe. That was HR Data Labs. Please visit TeretskyConsulting.com forward slash podcast to review the show, add comments about this episode, or add new ideas about upcoming shows you'd like to hear. Feel free to be creative, but please be nice. Thank you for joining us this week on the HR Data Labs podcast, and stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe. <laughs>